All right. Well, hey, good morning again, guys. My name is uh, Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor at the Hub City Church, and we do welcome you. We're so glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning. Uh, I just do have a few announcements before we get to the word. The first thing is community groups and discipleship ministries start back this week. Uh, tonight, actually, community group three stars. So that's exciting. Uh, yeah, whoop, whoop. so uh, I just want to do it really quick for you. I want to distinct, kind of distinguish between the two if you're not sure, uh, if you're new with us, what, what those differences are. So community groups are like your little uh, family within the church family, right? Uh, where they meet uh, every week on Sunday nights. They eat together. They uh, share updates on, on how they're doing, celebrate together, pray for one another, go through the Bible together systematically and discuss how to apply God's word to uh, our lives. Uh, it's very uh, easygoing, kind of you know, kick your shoes off and hang out on the couch together. Community groups tend to have uh, fellowships to just hang out and have fun together as well. About every uh, six weeks or so, uh, our, our group will have one to you know, watch the Super Bowl coming up, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, they're supposed to become your people, right, if that makes sense. Uh, men's and women's ministries are more geared for gender-specific discipleship, equipping, <clears throat> accountability, and encouragement. Uh, they're a little more uh, formal, I guess, than community groups, but they're a little less formal, formal than Sunday mornings. Definitely uh, the possibility of being a bit more pointed and uh, intimate with what is shared because you know, we, we want this to be a really transparent and safe environment for uh, getting real, right, about uh, faithfulness as a man or woman who is following Jesus. Uh, we meet in the sanctuary for men's and women's ministries. Uh, we sing hymns together. Occasionally we do fun things like a, a brunch or a, or a camping trip. Ugh, guys are asking for one of those again, so yeah, fun stuff. Um, men and women alternate weeks uh, meeting uh, on Wednesday night. So men uh, meet on the first and third. Women meet on the second and fourth because we have a lot of kids and someone has to watch those while we leave you know, and come to this. So uh, we'll hope you'll, we hope you'll form uh, friendships across the church body in these ministries and grab coffee or, or dinner together on the off weeks occasionally. So please, uh, we encourage you to jump into these uh, varying ministries. Stop by the connection desk today uh, and ask how you can get plugged in. Or if you're you know, really introverted or you just don't want to stop on your way out, just text the words Hub City uh, to 97,000, fill out the survey, and we'll, we'll connect with you. We'll get you in on that. So uh, that's, that's the first thing. Those things are starting back. Also, uh, we do have a night of worship coming up on, yep, Sunday uh, the, the 28th at 5 p.m. That will be uh, in lieu of community groups that night. Um, just that's the time that we're used to coming together, so we figure for the most participation, we'll just have it in lieu of groups uh, that night. We do encourage you to come. Uh, we'll have some prayer prompts that night, and we'll do a lot of singing together and just reflecting uh, on the gospel. Then we'll have <clears throat> our 2024 vision meeting, as uh, Matt Davidson mentioned, on Sunday, uh, February 4th. We'll celebrate what the Lord did in 2023. We'll talk about how we're, um, well, like where we're going, what kind of goals that we have that we've set, that we're uh, shooting for just the general direction of the year, uh, what we hope to see accomplished and so forth. And that's that particular event. And then um, finally, I want to talk about our 21 days of prayer and fasting. That does begin uh, tomorrow. So uh, something I've learned in my uh, last few years pastoring is that January can tend to be just a tough month for a lot of people. Uh, obviously coming uh, down from the holiday high, it's cold, it's often you know, dark and, and wet as it has been this week. And that's just not our you know, usual Floridian vibe, right? We don't do well with that. But also I can't explain it, but 
I've just seen a lot of times at the start of the year, there are challenges for people spiritually and emotionally, relationally as well, uh, sometimes due to some hard circumstance that popped up in life or just whatever the case may be. And so in January, for the last several years, uh, we start the year with a three-week time of prayer and fasting, 21 days. And it really serves as an opportunity to get re-engaged spiritually, to be uh, in a consistent, guided time in the Word and in prayer, turning off distractions like TV and social media, uh, and even for those who are able, um, you know, stripping down our diets maybe to you know, fruits and, and vegetables or, or liquids as a way of showing our full dependence on and desire for God as we go into a new year. It's a time of, uh, a time of fasting is, is by no means, I want to be clear on this, a time of fasting is by no means a uh, way of manipulating God with our works. Uh, it's not a way of putting God in our debt, you know, going without lunch or Netflix for a few days just so he'll give us some other material blessing, right? Um, But it is a way that we know believers in Christ have taken time throughout the ages to dial in their spiritual focus, to uh, abide more deeply and cry out and to listen to him because ultimately uh, they're longing not for anything in this world, but for him, right? To experience more of him and ultimately to be with him when he returns. It's also a time where those who are um, looking maybe for uh, some breakthrough, you know, with repentance of, of some particular sin, maybe uh, an answer for what to do next in, in this particular season, things like that, right? This is an opportunity for those kinds of, those kinds of things, to seek clarity maybe in those things uh, in order to glorify him more greatly with our lives. But anyway, um, we'll start our 21 days of prayer and fasting tomorrow, the 15th, and on social media, as well as the Church Center app, there is a link to the 21-day guide. Uh, should you desire to use that, it'll guide you uh, praying through the um, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, week one will be prayers mainly for yourself and your family. Week two will be spent praying for your church family. And week three uh, is praying for the world. Uh, in the guide, it gives you some simple guidance on what prayer is, what fasting uh, should be, as well as a few links if you want to dig deeper and learn more uh, about that. And, uh, and then at the end, there's a place for uh, you can click and there's a, uh, you know, more Bible reading plans that you can kind of jump into after the fast so you don't lose that new habit that you've formed. Okay, So uh, I really do hope you'll join in with us uh, on this, whether you use the guide or not. And regardless of how you do it, and uh, just join us in a season of prayer and fasting for ourselves, for our church family, and the world in 2024. It's, it's always a really good season. We enjoy it. So hope you'll jump in on that. Okay, that was a lot. Uh, last week, we began our first sermon series of the year titled, Therefore, a series on the basic measures of a gospel-centered disciple. Um, while we do spend the majority of our year uh, walking through entire books of the Bible expositionally, each January, we take a few weeks at the beginning of a new year to reorient ourselves to kind of who we are uh, and what we're about as a church. And so uh, here's the thinking behind the title, right? Um, the word therefore occurs in, uh, in the Bible very frequently. Um, translations vary in their, you know, their renderings, but the actual Greek New Testament, this word occurs upwards of 500 times. And uh, the word therefore is like a bridge between a particular uh, truth and it's a proper response, okay? Um, you know, so like it's really cold outside, uh, therefore you should wear a jacket, right? That's really true this morning. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Jaguars missed the playoffs, therefore Jaguars fans think their offensive coordinator, uh, Press Taylor, should be fired, right? So truth 
and appropriate response. But uh, anyway, you, you get the point. Well, last year, we went through the process of changing our name to the Hub City Church, and we rewrote our mission statement, we articulated our core values. At the end of all that, we came up with six of what we've called missional measures. Basically, these are six things that we believe all faithful Christians will do in participation with their church. So uh, if someone is aiming to be a disciple and to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God to the glory of God, these six measures are what we think it will look like in our local church context, okay? Um, and so each one of them is heavily backed up by the therefores of Scripture, and that's what I'm aiming to show throughout this series. Last week, we discussed a commitment to community. Uh, if you missed that, it's online if you'd like to um, catch it. And, but this week, we'll discuss serving our church family consistently. Uh, so let's read um, a few pieces of an important passage in 1 Peter, and uh, then we'll pray and we will get started. We're going to read uh, 1 Peter 4. Verses 1 and 2, and then we'll jump over a few. We'll get to uh, verses 9 through 11. So starting in verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, God, we do thank you for this Sunday morning together. God, increasingly, as the world seems to just get crazier and, and more unstable, I am grateful for this consistent time of worship we get to have together with your people, making much of you and longing for the day that you will come and make all things new. But in the meantime, Lord, we, we desire to not only have a worship gathering that is edifying to us and glorifying to you. We want our entire collective life together as Jesus' church to be that. We want to be a church that you're pleased with and, and honored by in all that we do together. So God, as we look now to your word to consider this theme, this missional measure of serving each other consistently, God, would you open our eyes afresh? Would you convict our hearts? Show us how we can serve in such a way that's not lazy or disconnected from the gospel, but that's motivated by who you are and what you've done, and that is clearly empowered by the spiritual strength that you alone provide. Lord, if, if we have sound doctrine and we are right about our assessment of a lot of things in life, but we don't have love for you and love for one another that drives us to serve. Lord, you tell us our doctrine is useless. It's defective. It's dead, and we don't want that. Lord, we want to be a church whose sound orthodoxy leads to a robust and healthy orthopraxy. We want our faith to have action behind it in order that we, um, it might be revealed to be more genuine, Lord. Help us. Because as with last week, and really all of these weeks in this series, Lord, the, this principle 
from your word is not complex. It's simple. But living it out takes real commitment. It takes work. It takes dying to ourselves. And it takes swimming against the current of our increasingly post-Christian culture. We can't do it. We can't do it without the help of your spirit, Lord. So would you help me to be clear and and bold this morning for your namesake, Jesus, but then help us all, myself included, to be obedient. That's what you expect if we truly love you. So it's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. All right, well, this, um, this teaching series is intentionally very pointed and practical. Uh, to, to boil it way down, this is a series about what you should do if you're a Christian. And in my experience, people uh, tend to enjoy practical teaching, so they have a sense of what the Lord, from his word, would expect from them. However, because these messages are so pointed and practical, I, I must reiterate at the beginning of each one that uh, while there are things that the Bible says you should be doing if you're a Christian, okay, the Bible is not primarily about what you should do. The Bible's not primarily about what you should do. The Bible is primarily about what has already been done for you. Okay, so, so please do me a favor. And if you don't know what I mean by that, just, just listen for the next few moments. And before you try to do anything as a Christian, make sure that you are a Christian. Okay? Uh, to do otherwise is to get the cart before the horse and misunderstand what all of this is about. All of this, this, the the sitting, the standing, the the singing, the giving, the listening, the community groups, the men's and women's ministries, it's not about us trying really hard to be good people. It's not. The, The members of the Hub City Church are not gathered here this morning as a way of trying to make God happy with us. Church attendance, right? Commitment to community and all the other missional measures that we're discussing in this series are, they are absolutely, unequivocally not for us to somehow earn good standing with God through our religious actions. To live with that mindset is a form of works based righteousness that, listen to me, Jesus does not prescribe. Okay. In fact, it, it, I think it would be appropriate to call, and some have, to call the Christian faith, or faith in Jesus, to call it the anti-religion. Okay? Here's why I say that. Because every other world religion and every other worldview is, is not inherent, is, even these worldviews that are not inherently spiritual, they're all about self-improvement. Okay? They have this you know, set of do's and, and don'ts that, that form a common morality for their followers to attain and thus to be considered good. Right? Whether it's praying a certain number of times a day while facing a certain direction or you know, looking and talking a certain way or you know, not eating certain foods, celebrating certain holy days, or 
You know, for the, the new American religion of politics, you know, despising people who disagree with you and then backing a certain candidate, no matter how unsavory his or her character, right? Um, in short, religions have checkboxes. You check the boxes, the religion labels you good, okay? It's a very simplistic transaction, But biblical Christianity alone is an outlier. It's an outlier that goes against the grain of typical religion. You see, Jesus makes it very plain when he speaks to the rich young ruler in Luke 18. He says to the man very pointedly, no one is good except God alone. And this is not like some obscure teaching only from Jesus. The Apostle Paul restates it even more explicitly in Romans chapter 3 when he quotes the Old Testament Psalms. He says, as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, Christianity does not begin with a list of do's and don'ts to be good. It starts with a very clear, you didn't and you can't be good. That is, not on your own record and not in your own power. Okay. But here's what Christianity says next. Though you couldn't be good in the eyes of God on your own, God graciously made a way. And the way was by sending his son Jesus to live a perfectly good and righteous life on our behalf, to die an atoning death on the cross, to pay for our sin, and to rise again and offer us redemption by simply placing our faith in him. These are real historical events that took place while we were still sinners, choosing to selfishly live however we wanted because we wanted to. The Bible says Christ came in human flesh and he died for us, thereby offering us salvation and a new identity that we never could have deserved. Righteous and blameless children of God. You see, the Bible is not about self-help. It's about Jesus' help. It tells us that we can't do anything to help or save ourselves, but that when we trust the good news of Jesus, the gospel, we are immediately justified. We're justified. We're we're made right with God. And now, right now and, and forever, right? We're given the gift of of eternal life. And here's the really cool thing about eternal life. It starts now. It starts now. When we're born again and believe the gospel, becoming children of God, he gives us the gift of his indwelling Holy Spirit who then empowers us to keep on living by the faith that we received when we first trusted Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit... He's like the new sheriff in town in our hearts. (laughs) He convicts us of sin. He he leads us into truth and righteousness. He He just restructures everything in our lives so that we're beginning to live in all that we do for the purpose that we were made for, to glorify God. So hopefully this helps you understand 
why, with these six weeks of practical teaching, you should not seek to put them into action before you first know about the amazing actions that Christ has already taken for you in the gospel. So as we move on today, if, you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and, and Lord, friend, p- please don't take this sermon as what you need to do to be made right with God or to have God love you. Can I tell you something? Jesus has already done everything. He's done everything that needed to be done for you to be made right with God. He already loves you. He already loves you. That's what we see at the cross. All you need to do is trust him. That's first and foremost. Because the Christian life, apart from faith in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, um, it's not only exhausting, it's impossible. Okay, it's impossible. This is why Peter tells us in the verses we just read, whoever serves should do it as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Right? So now let's actually talk about the serving that we are to do. Because of the gospel, Christians serve their church family consistently. Okay? Listen to how pastor and uh, seminary professor Don Whitney puts it. He says, worship empowers serving. And serving expresses worship. Godliness requires a disciplined balance between the two. Those who can maintain service without regular personal and corporate worship are serving in the flesh. It doesn't matter how long they've been serving that way or how well others think they serve. They're not striving according to God's power, but their own. At the same time, one measure of the authenticity of worship is whether it results in a desire to serve. Therefore, we must maintain that to be godly, we should discipline ourselves for both worship and service. To engage in one without the other is in reality to experience neither. If we go back to what we saw in 1 Peter 4, I think we can conclude that this is exactly right. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. We are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking and that we are to be people who are laying our lives down or that we might live the rest of our days, quote, not for human passions, but for the will of God, right? The Apostle Paul echoes this mentality when he says in Romans 12 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. So the foundational truth of the therefore is clear, okay? It's the gospel. (laughs) It's always the gospel, by the way, okay? Um, (laughs) Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. But then as you move down through this passage, Peter then connects the gospel to its practical outworkings, right? The things that we are to do as an appropriate response to the gospel. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As one who speaks, 
as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here's the first point about serving that I think is most obvious and important, okay? The members of Jesus' church build one another up through selfless service because Jesus first served us by selflessly sacrificing his own life. You see the connection? This might be one of the simplest messages in this series because the connection is just so clear, right? We serve each other because Christ first served us. If you're a parent, something you realize, especially if you're a Christian parent, is you'll have to, you have to watch how you carry yourself in front of your kids because they will mimic you. They'll mimic you. And usually you realize it in conviction, right? When they mimic something less admirable. Uh, the same is true about what you allow them to watch on TV or on YouTube, right? Kids will start copying what they see, right? This is a clear principle that's observable throughout life. You and me, we, we start to become like whoever we're watching closely and learning from. And so as Christians start to you know, really uh, abide in Christ, watching him through their time in the word, they'll naturally start wanting to serve others, right? Because Jesus' whole life was an act of service, as was his death. The place he says this most clearly is in Mark chapter 10. Listen to this. It says, uh, and Jesus called them to him, talking about his disciples, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we read in the gospel accounts that Jesus' disciples uh, and their initial immaturity, they were always squabbling, weren't they? Squabbling about who was the greatest, right? A lot of young and immature people still do that today, don't they? Seeing every opportunity as a way to highlight how awesome they think they are. Their skills with a Z, you know, like <laughs> what they bring to the table. But Jesus says, that's worldly. That's worldly. If you want to be great in my kingdom, the way to do it is by treating everyone else greatly, right? By making yourself like a slave to everyone, looking to meet their needs before your own. He says, because Jesus says, because that, that's what I'm here to do. People need a savior who gives up his life. And that's me, right? And now some have said, it's, it's like the motives and the ethics of the kingdom of God are upside down, right? Uh, the world is all about aggressively climbing the ladder, right? Stepping on others in the process. That's just what you do, right? But Jesus' disciples are called to be those humbly holding the ladder, helping others up, right? In the eyes of God, 
That's what great looks like, okay? Um, Again, reiterating what we've read thus far in Galatians 5, it says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want without repercussions because of grace. Okay? Freedom in Christ is the freedom to live like Christ. <laughs> Go figure, right? And if we're going to live like Christ, consistent service of others is square one. It's square one. We're never to move on or graduate from that. The New Testament is absolutely shot through with this concept. It's, it's nearly impossible to miss. Listen to another familiar passage that ties in this idea of how the church is to think like or have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So let me just push this to its, what I think is its most, well, the, the best I can do, its most simple articulation, Okay. The culmination of all these passages about the gospel motivation for believers to be serving one another is this. Every instance of a believer in Christ giving up time, energy, and resources for one another is a microcosm of the gospel in action. Okay? Now, a a microcosm is a situation that encapsulates in miniature form, the characteristic qualities of something much larger, okay? That's what a microcosm is. And this is how we have the mind of Christ. This is how it's meant to function in us. As believers, we are to be people who are always meditating on the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus did for us. And as we do that, it begins to shape how we see everything in life, including other people. We begin to see others as God sees them, people who need to be loved and helped and supported and encouraged, people who need grace, right? And so with the mind of Christ, who was willing to die for us and give us all the grace we could ever need, we now do our best to see the needs that other people have that we can meet as the grace of God to them, through us, right? This is the gospel in action. Christian husbands and wives strive to serve one another because their marriage is a microcosm of the gospel. 
Christian parents strive to serve their children through loving discipleship because it's a microcosm of the gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ use their varying abilities and resources to serve each other within the context of their church because it's a microcosm of the gospel. Churches go out and serve their communities because it's a microcosm of the gospel. We are to expend our time and energy for others because Jesus first emptied himself of all his time and energy for us, right? You know, uh, early on in ministry, when I was in Bible college and (laughs) serving as a church intern, I was the guy, you know, who got to the meeting space first. Uh, We were a church plant, so we didn't have our own building at that time. And uh, I would, you know, set up all the chairs and, um, you know, clean the bathrooms and, you know, put out all the road signs and brew the coffee and just all the setup things. And I'm not going to lie, it was kind of exhausting at times, uh, always being the first one there, the last one to leave. And the associate pastor, who was my direct report, he always had this little phrase that he would say to me as an encouragement. He would say, remember, Jesus died, bro. That's it. That's the phrase. Jesus died, bro. Right? It was kind of silly. You know, uh, we thought about putting it on a t shirt. <laughs> but the point was critical for me to learn. This is why we do all that we do in ministry, whether it's leading a community group or preaching a sermon or scrubbing a toilet at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. We serve our church in whatever way is needed because Jesus did whatever was needed to save us. Even when that meant, as the God of the universe, who owed us nothing, by the way, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And as a... 24-year-old church intern, um, I learned not to grumble about having to do all the monotonous stuff week in and week out and the stuff that no one else really wanted to do. I learned to do it with gladness because if if I forgot, there was the phrase, Jesus died, bro, right? Jesus died. And if Jesus, the king of glory, was willing to go to the cross for me? I could brew some coffee. No problem. (laughs) I could take the trash out. No big deal. I could serve in kids' ministry. Easy. So to this day, I am grateful for that brother who instilled that in me, who taught me to say is my key motivation for service of others Jesus died, bro. Because it really trumps every excuse that my often fickle heart can come up with. And it does come up with them rather quickly and effectively, actually. I'm sad to say. It it trumps all these excuses that I come up with. I'm tired. I'm busy. Or that doesn't sound like fun. Neither did the cross. The cross didn't sound like fun, I'm willing to bet. But Jesus died, bro. And you know, he was tired. 
exhausted, sweating great drops of blood, we're told. But he served us anyway. He carried the cross that we deserved. He took the nails through his hands and feet all the way to the end, absorbing the wrath of God. He served us by suffering for us unto death. And so now those of us who have placed our faith in him are to have the same mind among ourselves. Every instance of us giving up time, energy, and resources for others is like a microcosm of the gospel in action. When you think about it that way, it's really a privilege to serve others on behalf of Christ, isn't it? I hope so. Serving is not just something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do, church. It's something we get to do. Uh, Our family ate dinner at Chick-fil-A one night this week, and I'm sure you know, anytime they serve you, if you say thank you, they say without hesitation, my pleasure. See, you knew it. (laughs) Uh, There was a worker there who asked my wife if he could take our trash. And my wife was like, oh, it's okay. I'll, I'll get it. You know, it's like our kids make a huge mess. So she's like, doesn't want this guy to have to deal with it. Right. And so, but he asks again, he's like, are you sure? <laughs> and she's like, no, it's really okay. I'm going to pile all this on the tray. And um, he, he just kept asking because like, I think it felt wrong. It felt weird for him to not serve us. He wanted to. He was near insistent upon doing it. We need to take a page out of Chick-fil-A's book. (laughs) Church. That's sad to say, isn't it? As we serve others because of and for the sake of the gospel, we have the great opportunity of joining in on the work of Christ himself. What a privilege. We're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus, as it's often been said. How awesome is that? But, you know, there is another side to this as well that I think we see in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. So let me uh, read it to you one more time. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. This is pretty convicting to me. Okay, Peter's saying, Our willingness to serve is actually a matter of stewardship. Are we willing to give up the life that we've been entrusted with for gospel ministry? You see, here's something we learn about God in Scripture. Everything belongs to Him. Everything belongs to Him. I just read this the other day in Psalm 50. God says, The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. So if I were ever hungry, you wouldn't even know, okay? Because the whole world and its fullness belong to me, right? One theologian said, there's no square inch over the entire universe that God doesn't rightly declare mine, And so when we come to faith in Christ and we're restored back into our rightful identity as image bearers of God, we're making an acknowledgement, okay? 
When we place our faith in Jesus, we're, we're, we're saying a lot of things. Here's one of the things that we're saying. I belong to God. I belong to God. My life is his. Everything I have is from him and for his glory. I'm just a steward. My time, my talents, my treasures, they don't belong to me. I've been entrusted to invest them on behalf of God for his mission. And this is what Peter is saying. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our time, our energy, it's all meant to be expended to make much of Christ. And thus the question must be asked, are we living that way? Are we living that way? What does the way that we serve say about who we think we belong to? In Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable about a bad manager. And basically, the master comes back after being away, and he asks the manager for the accounting log of how the manager has been stewarding his resources in his absence. The point Jesus is making here is clear. He's the master. (laughs) He's the master. We're just the managers. And in the end, he is going to come back, and he's going to ask us for the accounting logs of our lives. In the parable, the master finds out that the manager have been wasting his resources. And so he takes the managerial role away from him. Church, in the end, when Christ returns, there will be a time where we have to turn over the logs of our stewardship for Christ's review. The time he gave us, the energy he gave us, the talents and skills he gave us, the gospel he gave us. So we should ask ourselves now, how do we think we're going to feel in that moment? Will we be ashamed to hand over mostly sloppy, mismanaged records? Are we going to hear those beautiful words? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So I hope you'll consider that question as you go this week. What does your willingness to serve others or maybe lack thereof say about who you think you belong to? What does it say about what you really believe? But as we close, I just want to quickly explain how we think serving should work within the Hub City Church. It's essentially this, okay? Sunday morning serve teams should really be like the tip of the iceberg for how church members are serving each other via hospitality, discipleship, and support from day to day, all right? So every Sunday morning, we come together to have a worship service for our church, facilitated by our church. That means that everyone that you see as you come up into our building from our security team members in the breezeway to the kids' ministry check-in volunteers, to the classroom teachers, to greeters in the entryway and handing you a bulletin, ushers helping to make sure everyone has a seat, passing the offering buckets, the production team in the booth doing the lights and sound and the slides, the band 
leading us and singing, someone here to preach God's word, the, the finance team counting the offering afterwards, right? All of these people are here to serve each other. They're all here to serve each other. Some of the roles require a lot of technical skill, like playing an instrument in the band. Please don't try out if you don't have technical skill in playing an instrument in the band, right? Um, some just require a warm smile and a desire to make people feel welcome and valued, right? Like the hospitality team. Some require a lot of patience and love, like our preschool teachers. But each and every one of them has fundamentally said the same thing. I want to serve my church family in some way because of the gospel. Because Jesus first served me by laying down his life. And really, Sunday morning is just like a snapshot. The hospitality, discipleship, and support that's happening on Sundays as, as believers commit to community together. It's, it's really happening organically all the time day in and day out. A couple, will, a couple will host community group in their home as an act of hospitality. A few girls will grab a bite to eat together and talk about what they're learning from God's word and how they can help each other strive for faithfulness as moms and wives, which is discipleship. You know, um, One guy will call another guy on the phone with a challenging situation he needs to be cared for and encouraged through. A group Provide a, a meal calendar for a family that just had a baby or who lost a loved one as a way of support, right? And so on and so forth. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. We all serve each other in the clear ways that are needed on Sunday mornings, and then we just serve in a thousand little ways as they come up outside of Sundays. Simple, right? But just like last week with community, I'll say the same thing. While serving is not complicated, right? Like what it is is not complicated. Why we do it is not confusing. It just comes down to the matter of will we do it? Will we do it? As you have received gifts of God's grace, Will you steward them to serve the body of Christ that you're a part of? Are you willing to serve on the hospitality team a few times a month? Learn people's names. Show them that they're loved and and valued by God. Guys, so many people have become a part of this church family because of the warmth and the care of our hospitality team. So many. Or are you willing to be a part of our kids' ministry, by serving in a kids' class once a month. Uh, Not even as a teacher, necessarily, just as an assistant. Do you know, sorry, I gotta say, do you know there are some churches that have to pay people to do that? In this town, in this area, They have to pay people to serve in their kids' ministry. That's crazy. May it never be so with us. Jesus died, bro. Or sis. 
We have the tremendous blessing of being a church with a ton of kids. Praise God. There are churches in this area that would love to have a quarter of the number of kids that we have. It's a blessing. We should be willing to jump in and serve them, love them, explain the gospel to them. Guys, many of our kids' lives will be changed for eternity because men and women gave away a few hours a month in the early years of their lives to talk to them about Jesus at a level they could understand. My kids' lives, I'm the pastor here, my kids' lives have probably been changed because of Robin Yvette Beam. What a privilege to serve. Or if you're talented musically, talk to Josh about joining the band. We have a great band, don't we? I know they have room for more. We want you to be able to use your gifts to bless the body. Or the production team, or the security team, or we also have a facilities team that helps keep our building in good repair, or, or multiple teams. You could be like David Snelling, who serves on every team, except the band, because they don't need a tambourine right now. That's all he plays. <laughs> All right, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. <laughs> Here's the bottom line, okay? Ultimately, every Christian will find a way to use their time and talents to graciously meet the needs of their church family, thus glorifying God. In the words of Lumiere, the candelabra mater d and Beauty and the Beast, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. If we claim to be Jesus' disciples, then we claim to be consistent servants of others because of the gospel. Jesus came to serve and to give his life as our ransom. And he says in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will, not might, will be like his teacher? Are we becoming like the one that we say is our great divine teacher? As we close this morning, I think it makes sense to do so by taking the Lord's Supper. A representation and a constant reminder of the way Christ served us unto death. The bread, it's a picture, okay? It's a picture. The bread represents his body that was broken and nailed to the cross. The juice represents his blood that was poured out to make atonement for and to cover all of our sin. And so if you're a believer in Christ, I encourage you to partake with us this morning. And remember how Jesus did not count equality with God as something that we were able to grasp, but who emptied himself and who gave up his life for our salvation.
And if you're not yet a believer in Christ, that, today, that, that's okay. That's okay. Don't feel like you need to come up here and partake. Or as I said at the start, don't feel like you have to do anything religious to appease God or to make him love you. Jesus has done it all for you already. And he already loves you. He loves you. We would just ask that you strongly consider the cross, which is the evidence of just how much he loves you. If you haven't already, would you believe that good news today? Would you believe that good news today? What's in your way? Nothing. Place your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and the gift of eternal life that can start right now. If you feel genuinely like today is the day for you and you want to pray together, Pastor Jason will be up here. I'll be up here in the front. We'd, we'd be honored to pray for you. If you'd like to receive Christ today, officially, or if you just need prayer for something else, we'll be up here for that too. Let's pray. Father, God, this is, oh, God, this is one of those Sundays where I am convicted myself to preach the message that you have laid upon my heart. And so, Father, me first. Me first. God, would I reckon myself a slave to all because of Christ and the fact that he died for me. Father, I pray that I would remember that motivation, that I wouldn't ever forget that. That's the motivation for everything. And so, Father, I pray that also for our church family, the men and women in here who love Jesus. God, I pray that we would have gospel motivation, that we would have scriptural therefores that will not allow our fickle hearts to persuade us to not serve each other. God, may it never be. Would this be a family, increasingly a family of glad-hearted servants who love to serve one another, who insist on serving one another, who say, my pleasure, brother or sister, because of what Christ has first done for me. Help us, Lord. This is not our culture. In fact, our culture is running fast in the other direction. So God, help us. This can only happen by your spirit. I pray that you'd do it, God. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thanks for his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the gospel. I pray that we would now reflect on those amazing truths as we partake of this supper, longing for the day that Christ returns and makes all things new. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.